Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible studies. We continue through the book of Romans and today we come to, as I said to my class, I think before I prayed, before I came on to recording, but uh, just a great, great chapter. Some When we are on a journey through some wonderful chapters right now, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, some wonderful, wonderful chapters. So without further ado, let's get started studying the book of Romans chapter number five. All right, Romans chapter five, as we continue through the book of Romans, we've now, we've kind of dealt with the subject. We're still in one of the subjects, but we dealt with a, there was an introduction and then we moved from the introduction to the first topic, main topic in this book. He dealt with sin and I've reviewed it every week, but I'll say it briefly. He dealt with the sin of the Gentiles. The Jews said amen, and then he said, here's the sin of you Jews. And then he said, this, we all are sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not one. They all do with good. And, he's, and he just is establishing a fact that we all are sinners, and we have nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get out of that sin, to stand righteous before God. We are all sinners. Then he transitioned at the end of chapter 3, all of chapter 4, and into today, into some a different angle into it, but he's dealing with salvation. And, and he's saying, though I've already established that you all are sinners, there is salvation. But it's not salvation how you would think he's writing to his people. It's not salvation and through the works that you do, but he is laying out for them that salvation is by faith alone. Now, because you guys attend a Baptist church, you hear that quite often and you understand that. And so the reason why we don't shy away from it in a teaching like this is because we need to not just know it in our head, but we need to have it sealed in our hearts through the scripture. We need to be able to say when someone questions us, no, 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 baptism or no, 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 church membership, doing the sacraments in your Catholic church, none of that's going to get you to heaven because I've learned in Romans chapter number three, four, five, six. Here's what the Bible says. Because the, the answer, the best answer you can give is here's what the Bible says. Not, well, my church says this. Doesn't matter. What's the Bible say? And so we've seen it through the end of chapter three, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It was illustrated in Abraham, the king to the Jews. I mean, the, he is the father of the Jews. They illustrated that it was his faith that declared him righteous, not his works, though his works did follow. But now we come to chapter number five, and I want to show you the, what I've titled in this when I've taught it before, the blessings of justification. But you've got to remember what that word justification is. Justification, when you hear it in a church setting, is dealing with your salvation. That's the term justification. Justify, just as if I never sinned, some say. Justification deals with my salvation. After that is sanctification that deals with my life as a Christian. How do I grow as a Christian? How do I deal with sin as a Christian? So justification, salvation. Sanctification is after I'm saved. That's going to be chapters 6, 7, and 8. And then glorification is when I get to heaven one day. Glorified body. Okay. Now, with all of that, let's jump right into this most powerful verse. Chapter 5, verse 1. Look at what it says. The first word ties some stuff together. Because he says, therefore... So therefore ties us back to everything he's been saying, which everything he's been saying is salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, proven even in Abraham. Therefore, based on that fact, being justified by faith, which is what we've established, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great verse. One that you've, if you've grown up in Sunday school class, you've had to memorize that. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is not the peace of God. Sometimes in, can I, let me just confuse this even more. Sometimes in the sanctification period, as Christians will say, man, I just have the peace of God. Or it's always that breakup line for teenagers. I just don't have peace about it. Christian breakups and stuff like that. I just don't have peace. Or, you know, people use it for a variety of things. And some of them are true and some of them they just say, unfortunately, and we don't know because we can't see their hearts. But that's talking about the peace of God. In this verse, he says, when we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, why do we need that peace with God? Because we learned in chapter 1 that the wrath of God is poured out on sin. God judges sin. Though he created hell for Satan and his angels, now it is a place where sinners go. For all, Well, hell is then cast in a lake of fire for all of eternity. Because the wrath of God is poured out on sinfulness. God is a holy God. And so we are not at peace with God, though some may go through life and they may, some may show up today at church and not be saved, not be at peace with God. They may not know it. They may not care. But the moment that the truth is revealed to them, they're like, uh-oh. You remember that feeling you had when you realized you were lost and you were under conviction and you didn't feel settled you felt guilty. You felt like, oh no. I remember for, for me being at that at my house that night thinking, if I died, I'm going to hell. I know I didn't say this. I know I'm not at peace with God, but I knew I wasn't at peace with God. I could feel it. But when I left that room and walked down the hallway, across the kitchen, up the stairs, and into that room, and I got saved, when I walked back across that room, down the stairs, across the kitchen, down the hallway, turned right into my bedroom, I had a whole different peace. Why? Because I was justified by faith that night, and now I had a peace with God. And so one of the blessings of justification, one of the blessings of being saved, is that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles real quick, hold your spot here. I'm going to have you turn a couple places today, but go over real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at this verse here, or verses. Ephesians 2, let's start in verse 13. When he says, Whereby, wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, is where I should be, and I'm not there. That's why it's not sounding right. Ephesians 2, start again, verse 13. But now, in Christ, big phrase there, I have that underlined in my Bible. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off, are made nigh, brought close to God by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and who hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That the, what, Whatever was separating us from God has been torn down by Jesus Christ. And it says, having abolished in his flesh, Jesus' flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make he himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity there, thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by faith, we're going to, or access, we're going to come to that in a second, by one spirit unto 
the Father. So one of the blessings of justification, when you got saved, one of the blessings that you received is now there's a peace. That you are no longer under condemnation, but now you have a peace with the creator of this world, the one who holds your soul in his hands. You have peace with God through only faith in Jesus Christ. But then number two in this, you also have, look at verse two, by whom also... So there's something else that we have in salvation, whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So there's a second thing that we have. Yes, I have peace with God now that I'm saved, but now I have an access into grace. The word access means the right to enter. I've said this before somewhere, I don't remember where, but I'll say it again. If you walk into the bank where I work, there's a couple places you can't get to. You don't have access because it's for employees only. And so if you wanted to go to the restroom in the bank, it says access, only. you have to be an employee to get through that door. But sometimes people will come over and they'll say, or they'll come and say, hey, do you have a restroom here? And I'll say, here, I will walk you and get you through that door. So I will use my key and now they have access to a place they didn't have access for. Sometimes my kids are coming there, come running around. Sometimes Ryan and Nicole's kids come in there and they'll come running around. And they can go, there's, some, there's another place where there's a gate across and you can't get in. It's got a tricky little button you got to push. But no one can get by there unless you're an employee. Or if you're with an employee and they give you access. Well, here's the thing. You and I don't have access to the grace of God before salvation because we are sinners. We are at enmity with God. But when we got saved by faith, that faith gives us access to God's grace. Grace is a pretty good thing. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is, there's two types of what we talk about grace. There's one that he mentions right here. He says, wherein we stand. Grace is our permanent position of being declared righteous before God. And so from now until whenever I die, because of that night that took place that I described for you when I went upstairs and got saved, I have access to God's grace, and it's my permanent standing. No matter when I am, I am always going to be under grace. And so, now some use that statement right there to abuse grace. Now, Paul talks about it in Titus, and I, was gonna, I, had, I had it marked, and then I pulled my mark out a minute ago. So I'm going to turn over there real quick, and you can if you want. But in Titus chapter 2, he's talking about grace. And he says this in verse one, 11. He says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, so same grace that we're talking about here, hath appeared to all men. I love that. It's available to everybody. But he says, teaching us, so that when you, when you stand in God's grace, it teaches you something. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness. Well, that's different than some people teach about grace. Some people say, hey, I'm under God's grace. I'm saved. I can do whatever I want. So I can go live it up in sin, and in the, I can't lose my salvation? Well, that's technically correct. You can't lose your salvation? Well, great. I'll go do whatever I want. I'm under grace. Well, that's an abusing of God's grace, because here he teaches that the grace teaches us that we should deny anything that's ungodly. I ought to deny what's godly because God has been so gracious to me. It says that, I, not only that, but I should uh, deny worldly lust. That I should choose to live soberly. I should re live righteously and godly in this 
present world. And so grace is not an excuse for me to go do whatever I want. And the mindset is very toxic. The mindset that says, well, okay, I'm saved. So now it's kind of like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Mm. No, you can't. You see, grace ought to teach us to say, God has been so good to me. Why would I want to hurt him? Why would I want to do anything? Why would I? It's just like, I mean, I guess I could say, and it's just a stupid illustration, but let's say, let's use Jim, for instance. Let's just say tonight I was feeling like a teen and I'm like, I need to egg a house tonight. I just, I've got to egg a house. Just, I got to egg a house. I'm like, who better to egg a house than Jim? Now, why would I? Jim's been good to me. He's been kind to me. He, he's, he always, he's always saying nice things. He's always encouraging me. He's always taking care of uh, Cindy and taking care of Ryan, trying to help Ryan out through life, you know, navigate things. He's been a good guy. So why would I sit here and be like, I'm going to just go destroy his house. I'm just going to absolutely obliterate his house with a bunch of eggs just because we're friends. That would make no sense. If anything, I'd be like, what can I do to help your house? I mean, you've been so good to me. I want to help. I feel an obligation in a good way because you've been so kind to me. But some people look at grace and say, oh, you've done all of this for me. Ah, I'm going to go do whatever I want. No. It ought to be, God, you've been so good to me and so gracious to me. What can I give back to you? Remember when Paul got saved, the first thing he said in Acts chapter number 9 is, what would thou have me to do? God, what do you want me to do? I've just experienced your grace. I don't want to abuse it. What do you want me to do? And so we have access to grace, and we're, we're permanently in a position of salvation. Now, I'm going to sneak over into the, this lane of sanctification real quick, all right? Now, this whole chapter is about salvation. But can I bounce over to the Christian life real quick? Because I have to teach this point. We're going to get it in chapter 6 later, but I can't stop. When you have access to grace, it's not just an access to grace that says, hey, whenever you check, you're still a child of God. You're still under grace. You're always saved. But you know grace, there's something else about grace for sanctification, that God gives us grace in, to help in times of need. His grace, we not only have access to it to make sure we're saved, but we have access to it while we are saved to help us. So we just mentioned Caitlin's, Caitlin's um, mom and her grandma. We've talked to Steve Pitts. You know what these Christians have in times of need? And access to grace. I remember when my son died. This is the only way I know how to illustrate it because, you know, not too many traumatic things like this. But I remember when my son died, he was only five months old. And I remember I had to do two funerals. We had a funeral in Michigan. We had to come down here and do a funeral down here. And I remember standing um, and everybody was coming through and everybody was um, saying nice things. But I remember in, in a moment when they, they had a, just a little casket for him and I remember when the, they put the lid down and I just remember when a peace came over me and I, and I remember saying in that moment this is the grace of God because I, I mean there's more difficult things I'm sure in life than losing a five month old I'm sure there is I'm not going to be ignorant of saying trying to, I don't think you try to compare trials I think if I was suffering through cancer or watching my kid suffer through cancer there's a lot of different trials a lot of different pains but I do believe that God gives a grace to help in time of need when we want access to it. That's what he's talking about here too. Yes, I have access to know that I'm in the family of God, but I have access to grace to help me when I can't get through something.
I have access to grace to help me overcome sin. I want to get that in chapter 6, 7, and 8. But that's part of this, what he's talking about. The blessings of being saved is, yes, you have peace with God, but you have an access to grace that never runs out. It's, it's never going to be gone. It's never like God's too busy. The grace is always there for you. But the problem is, so often, we don't ask for God's grace. He tells us to ask. If we lack wisdom, we can ask of God. If we need grace, we ask God. He tells us in that passage in Hebrews that I've been kind of quoting loosely at the end there, but we can come boldly before the throne of grace that we can find help in time of need. We just got to come to God. That access to grace is such a special thing. And so we have a peace with God. We have access to grace. I could go on longer for that. I'm just making myself mentally move on because it's such a good thing. But we're going to get there in 6, 7, and 8. But we also, we can rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Look at um, this last part of verse 2. He says, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he's going to kind of go into something. And so I want to get into this. But I'll make this one statement because I looked at my notes. You remember when I see that phrase, the glory of God? Do you see that right there at the end of verse 2? That reminds me back in chapter 3 when he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Boy, when we are in chapter 3, I kept saying to all of us, we've, we're short of the glory of God because we're sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners. Now he says we have hope in the glory of God. And the only thing that's changed is not my actions. The only thing that's changed is my faith in Jesus Christ. And I went from falling short of the glory of God to now having hope or confidence in the glory of God. So now he's going to move from there, though, and says, okay, how do we package all of this truth? We, now we have peace, we have grace, we have hope. But how do we package all this and say, okay, great, but how do I deal with that every day when I go to work? That's wonderful, but how do I deal with when my five-month-old dies? That's great, but what about when I find out we've got cancer? So how does all that work? Because it would have been nice, maybe, if you would have just said, now that we have access to grace, now that we have peace with God, now that we have hope, you don't have any more troubles in life. But I've got a feeling I'm looking at a room full of people that have had some troubles in life. And you're looking at a guy that's had one or two troubles in life. So, what does he say? Well, I love these next few verses, because he says this. In verse 5, And hope maketh... Or let's go back, verse... Verse, uh, it's actually verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now I'm going to pause. Glory in tribulations. Now, this is not the counsel to give. When my son died, you don't, it's not good counsel to come and say, hey, you know, really glory that your son died. It's not good counsel. I wouldn't go to Caitlin and say, hey, glory that your mom's got this cancer. It's not wise. It's not, it's just not wise, but it's true. Okay. So there's a difference between wise and true. I can glory 15 years after my son's died in the things that God has taught me through that. And I'm going to show you why in just a second. And Paul's saying something pretty strong. And by the way, Paul's not saying this is a guy that hasn't been touched by any infirmities. Let's think about Paul. He's been He's, had, he's, he's been stoned and left for dead. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten by rods. He's been imprisoned. I mean, he's been through the ringer. He's went through everything. And he's still writing to people and saying, hey, because of everything that you have in Jesus, you can actually glory in your trials, your tribulations. And here's why. Because he says this. 
verse number uh, verse number three, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation or trials worketh patience. So step one, what happens is when I go through the trials, it develops in me a patience. You've heard some people say, maybe if you've been around Christians much, they'll say, don't pay for pray, don't pray for patience because God will give you trials. Well, Paul says it's actually a pretty good thing. Because when you go through trials, it develops a patience in you. This word patience is the word consistency. And that word worketh in there, when it says it worketh, if I keep losing my place, but it says knowing the tribulation worketh patience, the word worketh means to accomplish or to achieve. So those trials are going to accomplish or achieve in you a patience or an endurance. I put in my notes a consistency. What that trials are doing is they're developing in you some endurance so that you're going to be able to endure. You may, you may go through this for some time and be like, oh, I just can't make it through. But then you make it through. And then you go through another trial and you're like, how am I going to get through this? But, but you make it through and you continue to make it through. You continue to endure. It's developing endurance in you. And so he says the trials are developing in you a patience when you go through it. So know, know that when you go through some difficult times, God is working. He's constantly working everything together. So it says he's working a patience. And then he says, and patience experience. So what is experience? The word experience is, is actually, it means approved character. So what God is doing is he is developing through the trials and endurance that as you endure the trials, you actually become stronger in your character. It's developing a character in you. So it's constantly working. I remember, and I've told this story to some, but um, I remember one time when I was down in Madison, there was a, a military guy, kind of like you're working with a military guy, but there was a military guy, uh, been through a lot, seen a lot, and um, I was trying to develop a relationship with him, and so he liked to run. I hate running. I hated running. And so you're trying to build a connection with someone that likes to run. And then that, that one person finally talks, finally talks, and he says, you want to go running with me? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, man. This is the pastor you're trying to build a connection. You want to run? I hate running. Yes, I would love to run. But he doesn't just like to run. It's not just run. Like, let's just go run. If you've been to Madison, Ryan has, and I don't even know if I've shown this, but the, Madison, the Ohio River is right by Madison. Okay, So there's some back trails paved that you're down here, and it's straight uphill for almost a mile. It's like 0.8 something. It's like straight uphill. Winds around, and it's, it is straight uphill. And so I'm like, yeah, that's right. Where are we going to meet? He goes, let's meet down here. I go over there. He's like, here's what we do. First, we're going to walk down all of this. And then we run up it. He, and, and so I'm dumb to it at first. And he goes, it's, I go, how far is it? He goes, oh, it's less than a mile. I'm like, does he know what he's talking to? I mean, I'm an athlete here. My picture's up at the school. Less than a mile. I puked four times, four times on the first time up. And I was sick as a dog. I... I had a Lunchable before I got there because I'm just like, I'm just hammering a Lunchable with Oreos. I saw Oreos the entire way up. I was sick as a dog. But I wanted to build a connection with him. So here's what he said. You want to come back next week? Why would you ask a guy? That's so I came back next week. Then I came back the week after that. And then he stopped for some time. I don't remember something happened. He stopped for some time. But I kept going. Didn't tell him. I kept going. 
kept going, kept going. And I was doing it, even though he wasn't doing it. Well, then one day, it, it had been months, and he goes, you want to go run? I'm like, yeah, let's go run. Let's go run. And I went all, I beat him up that hill. Now, how did that happen? I continued to endure something that I hated. My body yelled at me every time. But you know you can build an endurance when you train that way. You can build. That's why some people can run run for miles. I mean, Miranda, some of you guys in here run for 26 on a marathon. I'm like, there's no way right now if I said all I could do that. But you know what? If I trained for a year, I probably could do it. Why? Because that's part of training. And that's the illustration I think of when he says this. Trials develop. You're working patience or endurance. And then the more you continue to do, it's building in you a character that you may not have had before. But it started with the trial that developed a patience, that developed a character or an experience. And then that experience develops a hope. Now, that hope is the idea of comfort or it's the idea of confidence because the hope gives you a confidence. And so as you go through a trial, eventually, if you look at the beginning and the end, the next trial, you have confidence that I'm going to get through this because I've made it through the last one. God got me through this. I, I'm, I want to word that different. I didn't get through the last one. God got me through the last one. How did God get me through that last one? By the grace that I have access to. God helped me get through that. So I know if he helped me get through that, he's going to help me get through this trial. And I gained some character. Then another trial comes and I gained some character. And when another trial comes, you know what happens? You get about probably, I haven't got there yet, but maybe you get about you know 50 years down the road and you look at some things and you're like, how did I get here? It was God's grace. And then you know what happens? Your kids or grandkids go through their first big trial. And you're able to comfort them and help them because you've already been through it. You've already seen the other side of that. You, God's developed a new character. And so, yeah, it would be nice if you become a Christian, you have no trials, and you're untouchable. Everything's perfect. That's not life. I'd be foolish as a teacher to say that's life. As a matter of fact, this is just what I've experienced. You're going to have a lot of trials. And they, and they stink. And they're painful. And they're frustrating. But... I look at a verse like this and it says, it is working something. Now, we can shut all this down. Patience doesn't have to develop endurance. And you, and, and you don't have to develop a character. Because you know what some people do? Trials come and they drink. Trials come and they pop a bunch of pills. Trials come and they quit church. So guess what? The trials didn't work God's plan. It's not because of God. We just chose to ad adapt to the trials in a different way. But this way right here seems to turn out really well. And I am so much out of time. But I've got to, let's fly. Okay, let's fly. So he says, for, so he, there's hope. And then that hope that's in us, verse 5, make it not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. You learn through all of those trials that, you know what? God loves me. God is there for me, even in my trials. And then he wants to prove this love. And so some familiar verses are easy to fly through, but good. So not easy because of that. But, but listen, here's how he proves that love. He says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Some maybe for a good person would sacrifice a lot. We've seen that. Military men, we've seen women, we've seen that with cops. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but peradventure for a good man someone even dare die. But God 
commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the enemy. He died for us. Uh, we could go into that longer, but I won't today. Verse 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Great verse there. Just to, I'm, I mean, I'm going to fly through that verse, but just think of that verse in light of salvation. We're saved from wrath. It gives some, so much doctrine in that one verse. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Another good verse. It doesn't say works or anything. It says by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Another great verse right there. It doesn't say anything about works. He just keeps saying, through Jesus, you've received atonement. Through Jesus, no more wrath. Through Jesus, this. It's just as clear as can be in this passage. And then he's going to kind of talk some more about salvation. Verse 12, wherefore, you've heard this verse before. It's in your maybe Romans road. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Who's that one man? He's proving now that sin has fallen upon everybody from Adam, but that Jesus redeems everybody, but everyone is redeemed, really, through Jesus. So I'm going to read down through these and we'll be done, and I'll try to make short comments. But then he's got a parenthesis here, and he says in verse 13, For, unto, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin was not imputed when there is no law. If there's no speed limit sign. I don't know what the speed limit is. So the law brings about the, the, the sin. It reveals the sin. Just like if, when I see now that it says 55 and I'm going 85. Okay, now I know that I'm wrong because I can see the law. So the law reveals the sin. Um, it says, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Here's what he's establishing is this. We're all sinners no matter what. A lot of people want to say, well, that's not fair. I didn't sin. Adam sinned. Okay, put you in that same boat. You're doing the same thing. We're all sinners. We may not have committed the exact same sin as Adam, but we're all sinners. David said he was conceived in sin. We are, we are born into our sin. I have a comment in my notes somewhere because I've skipped a lot of my notes here. Boy, that was a good verses that I skipped there. But, but I wrote this. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. So you're born into sin. So the reason you sin as a baby is because you're a sinner. So we sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we finally at one point sinned at three years old. No, we're born into our sins. What he's getting after here. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So now he's saying not only all that sin that come from Adam... But also there's a free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, all of us, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded to many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. Because of Adam's sin, everybody's condemned. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by all, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. You see what he's trying to draw a contrast here? By one person, Adam, we're all sinners. But by one, Jesus Christ, we all have access to the grace of God. 
Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of, of one, Jesus, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And he's going to get into that phrase more in chapter 6. But it's a great phrase. Where sin did abound, grace does much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign unto righteousness, unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now with that phrase, he's going to end dealing with the subject of sin and move on to sanctification now. But do you see, I think we've established over the last few weeks what sin is, but then that salvation, if you read those verses and come away that salvation is by anything other than through faith in Jesus Christ, then I am a horrible teacher. And I am already a horrible teacher. But I'm just saying, there's, that is so clear. Everywhere he's just saying, everything's through Jesus by faith. Everything's through Jesus by faith. He doesn't mention, we didn't read in that text anywhere about joining a church, did we? And there's nothing wrong with joining a church. We didn't read in any of these chapters about baptism. And there's nothing wrong with baptism. But he's declaring to this, this church in Rome that your salvation is anchored in faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's nothing that we can do. And because of that, because of that faith, we have access to his grace we have peace with God now. We don't have to live under guilt. You don't have to live under guilt. You have peace with God. You have hope. And God is constantly taking everything that comes in your life in the trials. And if we respond the way we should by His grace, He will work it all out to bring us hope and to bring us character. So, when the trials come, don't reject God's grace. But fall on your knees and just beg for God's grace. And watch God work in your life. Let's pray.